previously on Funny Science Fiction. But then the second one, oh, we go, oh, is he, oh my God, it's Khan. Really? You couldn't come up with something else? I mean, you had, there's a million things you could come up with. Hello, this is Josh Pruitt, and welcome to the Funny Science Fiction Podcast. The podcast where we feature family-friendly sci-fi humor your mother would approve of, but never understand. That's right, Kathleen's back. And that's because we think that she hasn't been driven mad yet by her toddler. Or has she? I mean, she did volunteer to co-host again, so I'm pretty sure that this could count towards her burden of proof in her insanity trial. Does me hiding in my mom's sewing room make me look less or more insane? I'm not sure. Yes. (laughs) Yes, we'll just go with yes. It's safer. Makes sense. All right, guys. Our guest today is Story. Uh, He's a writer. He's a story artist. He's a producer. He's Josh Pruitt. Now, welcome, Josh. Glad to have you here today. Happy to be here. Yeah. So for those of you who are watching, you, you may know him best for his work on shows like Mystery Science Theater 3000. Milo Murphy's Law, Phineas and Ferb, and we're going to talk about a few others that if you haven't watched, you kind of need to, to get to know his stuff. So needless to say, but I said it anyway, we're excited to have him here on our show for the good old Geek Fest. Hey, everybody. You know, I am super excited to talk to another Whovian, which is a fan of the British TV show Doctor Who, for those of you who aren't familiar with the term, Tim. <laughs> I No, no, I know what a Whovian is, I'm just not one of them. <laughs> I'm trying to be. Does that count? It does count. That, that does count. And that actually goes into my first question for you, Josh. Yeah. Your Twitter handle is Zombie Tardis. Yes. So obviously, you're also a Whovian. Yeah. So if you wanted to introduce somebody to Doctor Who, which episode would you start with? And why should Tim start with that one? <laughs> um, that's a great question. Um, and I have a couple of different answers because I have uh, two tiny ones. I have a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old. And so I've done this exper- different like introductory experiments with them. So I've done showing them um, Blink, Moffat's mm-hmm. Blink episode as a Dr. Light kind of safe, like walk your way into <laughs> the world of Doctor Who. Um, because ostensibly it could just be a monster episode and there happens to be a time traveler in it. Right. Um, and then uh, kind of on the far side, I've showed my kids Robot, Tom Baker's uh, introductory Ooh. episode. And they love the humor of that episode in particular. Is actually, we were just watching the Blu-ray this morning. Awesome. Um, just for fun, because it's Saturday. Um, and they still react to all the comedy, all the great stuff that Terrence Sticks was having Tom do as his introduction. Um that all went over great. And then my other recommendation would be there's lots of good David stuff. And I feel like Rose for Eccleston for nine is still mm-hmm. surefire. Um, but uh, the, the pilot, uh, Peter Capaldi's first episode with uh, Bill Potts, mm. I think is ticks pretty high up there as an introduction. That is a as, good episode. As a new modern character. Uh, that particular season, I think, is extraordinarily strong. Um, the batting average that is is really high, but I, I love that episode. It it kind of relishes being Doctor Who and not something else. Um, and it's, I mean, it's it's just great stuff. My introduction was Rose, so the first episode was nine. Lovely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because my parents watched it, and then when they brought it back, 
we had BBC America and it was airing and I remember my dad sitting me down and like no you're gonna watch this and you're gonna like it <laughs> that's so cool and I'm like the first episode and it was the wait what yeah, and at the end of the episode it was the I need more I yeah, need more of yeah. this this is fantastic like absolutely absolutely I need more yeah who is really like that's my like I didn't want to say my first love because I was uh maybe eight or nine when I watched it the first time so like it even predates like my obsession with mystery science. Like it's it's like I was visiting uh, my dad in New York. He happened to be living there in a little while for a little while. And uh, this was when the classic series was on PBS. Mm. And so I remember what I think it ended up being Seeds of Doom. There's like a, a guy going through a metamorphosis and he's like in the bathtub and there's echoes of the thing, which I hadn't seen yet you know, at that age. And then I would go back later and go, ah, I see what's going on here. <laughs> um, but I remember being totally terrified. And and um, I think in my memory banks, it was either Seeds of Doom or uh, Ark in Space, because Ark in Space also has a guy with his like bubble wrap hand, which is also really terrifying as he's turning into a bug. Um mm -hmm. And so I think in my head, I've kind of merged those episodes. So there'll always be one special amalgam of Doctor Who. Right. Um, but seeing Tom Baker for the first time, I was like, I, who, I love this guy. Who is this guy? The fourth Doctor was my mom's favorite, oh, which man. is why I have her frame. Yeah, I love it. I love that. <laughs> it's so cool. Like when I told her who I was talking to and I'm like, he's a big hoovy. And she's like, do you want to, do you want to put my picture on there? My picture can be on the internet. I'm like, perfect. definitely. It's perfect. <laughs> I got I got this at Comic Con like a couple of years ago. Oh, and awesome. like it's actually got K9. Like it's so fantastic. Oh, oh that's cool. I love it. I, I just watched I, the... I, I get that reference. I understand that one. Yay! <laughs> You're not just the tin tin dog, Tim. I'm proud of you. That's right. <laughs> Shooty dog thing. That was also that was also my nod to Captain America. But yes. Um well, yeah. <laughs> I understood that reference. <laughs> all right so you also mentioned uh you were talking there josh about mystery science theater yeah and now that's the literal embodiment of a cult classic absolutely that, uh you and you guys uh, you and your crew took on a pretty massive project in bringing back mystery science theater uh through netflix yeah it was uh so i'll, I'll, I'll preface it by saying is a dream come true to be involved at all um, I think the first time I saw the show, I was like 13. I was at a buddy's house. It was two o'clock in the morning. And I'm, I was always the guy who was like, let's watch some bad horror movie. Like, all right, Josh, right. Whatever, fine. And it ended up being the giant Gila, Mon Gila monster episode. And like, we we're no one, you know, you, you get silly, right? Two 30 in the morning, you're 13. Everyone's staying up late. Everyone's eating too As much you do. Yeah. Junk food, right. As you do, like you do. And, uh, <laughs> at some point I was like, guys, turn it up. Like, I don't care what you're talking about. Like, what's the, what are these things down at the bottom of the screen? Right. Like, they're like making jokes. And so like, I had that kind of very universal experience of watching that show for the first time. And, you know, I, I'm definitely one of these people who's like, Trace Beaulieu, like helped create the sound of my sense of humor. Mm -hmm. Like Crow and Dr. F and like the, the tone of that classic show, like it, it ticked all my boxes, like comedy, sci-fi, horror, big dumb, rubber monsters. Like I couldn't, like, I would never be able to invent something that ticked as many boxes as that did for me as a young person and as a creative person too, to then years later, kind of as you, you know, 
I think all the fans of Mystery Science have a certain level of obsession about how the show was made and it being kind of this cowtown puppet show. So it's like the more I learned about the show and how everyone had multiple jobs and it was very much all hands on deck and, you know, Trey staying up late to build the first model of the SOL and everyone chipping in for the first version of the sets and the puppets and Joel finishing everything the night before for the first records. So it's like, I was obsessed with that process, that creative process. And I could relate because as a young person, I was always writing, but I was also drawing too. So part of my kind of creative journey also came from watching that show, the idea of doing more than one thing at the same time. Um, or like, I always like to think of Buckaroo Banzai, like that first opening crawl, it says like, you know, moving in lots of directions at once, you know, right. that's, I'm, I'm paraphrasing poorly, but like, mystery science was very much in my dna as a young creative person and so um what happened was uh one of our editors uh lauren christ who uh worked with us on phineas i joined that i joined phineas and ferb uh like season four of that series mm -hmm. and um lauren who is a dear friend she, I walked into her office one day, she's an animatic editor. So she's the first person who takes our storyboards and turns them into something that resembles a television program. Um, and I walked into her office and she had a giant poster for Mystery Science, the movie. And so we hit it off right away. And we always had stuff to talk about and became dear friends. And um, she knew Jonah, she was friends with Jonah from back in the day. And so what happened was we had finished Phineas and I was moving on to other things. And Lauren asked me one day, she texted me, she said, hey, uh, Jonah is a part of this remounting of the series. And my head already, like the back of my head already exploded, just even with that, <laughs> like, that's so amazing. Like, oh my God, right? And she's like, Joel. And I was like, wait, like Joel Hodgson, Joel? And she said, and she was like, yeah, Joel is looking for a storyboard artist because, you know, this was this was like two years before the Kickstarter even launched. And okay. so it's like they needed somebody who could, you know, help out, but for a price, somebody who was a fan, because there was no budget. There's no money in classic mystery science form. <laughs> there's no Perfect. Um, and she was like, hey, do you want me to give your information to Jonah and Joel? And I was like, uh, yes. <laughs> and just kind of as a part of my own journey like I, I didn't even though I'd been storyboarding at that point for seven years or so I wasn't as confident in my boarding ability as I was as a writer so at that point in my career I was kind of like putting those things together as a writer storyboard artist and finding more success that way and so I had a portfolio and I and a website so always have a website creative folk out there in the world always have a website because at some point the creator of something you love might ask to see your work and you want to be ready um so i sent a text and sent a link and and she's like yeah joel really loves your stuff and i was like what <laughs> and, and then i got an email and he's like hey this is the creator of mystery science theater uh and we you know we need some help storyboarding jonah's opening sequence his origin story so um i got to work with one of my heroes, which was extraordinary. Uh, we went back and forth on uh, the creative, like Joel had a script that he shared with me. I would put animatics together. 
went through different like i would add stuff and joel's like yeah less of that or more of that he was very open and collaborative um and there's like literal things that i put in there like there's the fire extinguisher that the mads have mm-hmm. and they're they're kind of they've got those radio um mics and mm-hmm. like that came directly from the, my storyboard sequence so there's little things like i put a box of ham dingers in there and like joel's like yeah we probably don't need those <laughs> <laughs> I was, like, I was like yeah but i you know i wanted to try like at one point i had a gag in there of like um i thought it'd be funny if jonah had a pet constellation and so i added like sirius the dog and so i had there was a moment where the the constellation came and like bit the sol because it looked like a bone it looks like a bone and then like takes it off screen <laughs> so he was he was just really open to me like throwing ideas and and cool. and I you know that's that's really kind of my specialty, um, and so I boarded the opening so that they would have something to base like all the model builds off. Then they handed my boards off to Guy Davis, who's another hero of mine, who's a concept designer, storyboard artist, um, and you know he designed kind of the final pass on everything. Uh, it worked with Seth Robinson, who is a producer and storyboard artist on the team. So nice. like the final board was like my drawings, guys, drawings, Seth's drawings, Joel's thumbnails. Um, and that was just so cool. Again, it was like it really was living through that Cowtown puppet show, you know, creation. And in, cool. the midst, in the midst of all of that, I was like, hey, you know, can I can I write on an episode? Like, would that be would that be OK? And, um, you know, to my. Uh, ever gratitude uh to joel he said yes so i got to write riffs for uh beast of hollow mountain oh nice okay um which was an extraordinary experience it was so nice so yeah i got to put jokes in crow and tom and jonah's mouths nice awesome did you do your fanboy giggling in front of everybody or did you wait for, or did you wait for the drive home like driving your car and holding on to the steering wheel like <laughs> it, was, it was really tough like uh like, Joel actually bought me breakfast one day which was so cool uh and we got to like we shared uh sketchbook drawings um and you know I didn't get a picture with him and I and I regret it to this day because he he, he doesn't live on the west coast um but uh, I tried to be as cool as I could. I, I tried to like be as cool cucumber as I possibly could. And, and I kind of saved the geeking out for uh, once the show would come out nice. and, and, and just got to like gush uh, online. Um, also at the, uh, the uh, Kickstarter rap party, like the final countdown that they did at Meltdown, which sadly doesn't exist anymore in yeah. LA. It was a comic shop. Um, but I got in, I got to come to that and, and met Felicia day ever so briefly. Um, I would but die. I, yeah, I, I died a little bit. <laughs> and, die. And I, oh my, word. I brought my, uh, fan club card. And so she interviewed me for like 10 seconds. And at that point I had already been drawing her as Kinga for, you know, over a year. Um, but that was just, that was great. That was a major highlight. Um, that's cool. Cause I still, I still have like one of the original sweaters from the info club that I bought when I was like 15 years old. Um, and like the, if I wash it any more times, the plastic is going to just crumble off of the thing. So I, I keep it lovingly in a box. There you go. So one show that you have uh, contributed to 
uh, and that I am currently enjoying is The Last Kids on Earth. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like an apocalyptic world filled with monsters, action, adventure. Um, so what does it mean to be a creative contributor? So uh, uh, so I'm going to tell you the lame version and then the cool version. Okay. <laughs> so, so the lame version is that it comes down to, it's a, it's a legal precedent that has to do with um, it being Canadian co-production. Mm-hmm. So um, the, that's the lame version. The cool version is um, I was working on that show with Scott Peterson, my dear friend, and uh, the creator of the book series, Max Brawlier, the writer. Um, and uh, we had a wonderful writing team, uh, people who I, I loved to death. And uh, the way the, that show got produced, and, and in my experience, the, the, the best way to write a show like that um, is that once everyone's had their first pass and everyone's given notes, um we all pitch jokes on each other's episodes and so in in a different set of circumstances on a show like uh phineas or milo Mm -hmm. we were able to get staff writer credit and the reason i really like that and advocate for that is because that acknowledges that as a writer everyone is helping at every stage Uh, Because on something like Phineas and Milo, we're pitching jokes at the rewrite stage. We're pitching them again at Animatic. We are sometimes then pitching more jokes when it comes back from color and they're rebuilding the show. And so on Last Kids, we were helping at every stage. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the folks at Atomic were trying to find some way to to acknowledge that contribution. And and that's how they came up with that. uh, Haley Mancini and uh, Jen Moreau, who also were writers on that show, um, we all did that for each other. And it, it comes out of a very open and collaborative uh, writer's room. Um, excuse me. And you, you know, you want to make everyone look like a superhero, mm-hmm. you know, so you, you give freely of those ideas and jokes and, um, you know, the, as Shakespeare said, you know, plays the thing, the show's the thing. So you're, yeah. you, you want, you want everything to sing. You want everything to be really great. And, um, you know, our showrunner, Scott, he really set tone that it was really an open forum that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it shows in the finished product. I, you know, I've worked on things where it's not that open. Um, and you can kind of feel it. You know, you can feel jokes kind of die on the vine mm-hmm. um, or just lay there, you know. And the beautiful part about animation is that it tends to be a really iterative process. Um, as I'm sure, you know, like you talked about Dan, you know, that's the, that's the nature of the beast. Dan's also really great about that too. Yeah. Hey, Nick, do you think he was talking about our jokes dying on the vine? <laughs> just yours, sure. Tim. Just, just mine. Okay. I'm okay. I'm okay with that. <laughs> Isn't that shotgun. what we're supposed to be doing? Yeah. It's gotta be shotgun approach. You guys. <laughs> I thought that's what we were going for. <laughs> there you go. Goals. Hashtag goals. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you like get like your, so you, we're saying how you get like a lot of people in the room and you're all just kind of bouncing off ideas. So how do you get like some of those creative juices flowing and like, what is something that helps you to be more creative? That's a great question. Like, uh, I think some of it is, um, you know, working on your own stuff. Some of it means, uh, you know, you're giving some to, to the job that you have. And, you know, you also, and that kind of is replenished by things that you, you know, all your own personal projects. 
Um, and so what I have found is that when, when I'm working on something for me, whether it's a book like Scott and I have done a couple books together, um, or it's comics or, um, you know, those kinds of personal projects, they fuel, they can fuel, uh, the, the day job. And so that that way you come in and you're less precious and you are much more open and you're much more flexible. And I've found that, you know, the more I do, the more I can do, I tend to be a, a pretty ambitious, uh, person. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think also having that feeling really safe in that environment, you know, like the, like I said about showrunners setting tone, your producer is setting tone where it's a, it's a, a place where you can just pitch whatever, you know, like the, the first uh, couple things I worked on when I was at DreamWorks, when I started as a story artist, you know, not all those rooms were open to, to hearing pitches. Mm, So I learned kind of early on that that's where I functioned and contributed at a higher level is where I was able to throw everything out. Um, but I, that's where I learned that, you know, there were a lot of filmmakers and leaders, um, you know, the ones who had other things, other irons in the fire, uh, they were a lot more open to everyone chiming in and everyone helping, you know, there's this kind of funky thing where it's like, look, your name's going to be on the poster. So at at some point I, I started to gravitate toward the folks who realized that and they weren't sweating good ideas. And, and certainly that's been my experience with Scott Peterson and Max. And that's been my experience with Dan and, and Dan and Swampy is that, you know, they, they have a good track record. And the, the folks mm-hmm. who aren't insecure, you know, they, they're not going to sweat a good idea. Right. And, and, and I think that's the thing. I've, I've learned over time that that's the mark of good leadership. Um, because your name's on the poster, you're going to be in the articles, you know, nobody's very few people, you know, only wonderful podcasts like this, <laughs> um, you know, even know who we are most of the time, Aww. you know, and just even Dan recommending me is like a perfect example because okay. you know, not everyone's going to do that. They, they want the spotlight for themselves, maybe for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think having that environment where it's safe to do that man, that keeps my creativity up here. Um, we talked, uh, one of the last shows I worked on, Onyx Equinox over at Crunchyroll, uh, Sophia Alexander uh, really created a kind of special room with Jen Moreau, who I worked with again. She was the head writer. Um, and, you know, we talked about this thing early on where, and I'm sure you three have experienced this in different arenas. There's this idea that if it's just a job, you leave it at the job. It doesn't matter what the job is. But if you feel appreciated, you will problem solve all weekend. You'll be thinking right. about things that you will, oh, you know, I'm going to fix that on Monday. That's better. Or, oh, I'm going to go adjust that this weekend. It'll take me 20 minutes. No big deal. But when you feel appreciated and when you feel like your contribution matters, like that's free time that they are gaining from you as a great right. individual. That's free work. Like there are times on Onyx where like, I had an idea on the freeway, like you'll get, or I was driving in downtown Burbank and I was like, oh, I should pull over. Oh crap. I got to write this down. <laughs> you know, <laughs> All right. oh shoot. I got to write this down. Right. Um, and I pulled over and I put it on my phone. Uh, but um, you know, you get those for free when you feel appreciated, you know, you, because your brain just 
goes and goes and goes and goes. And, you know, if the next time you think about work, you're like, oh man, that, that, that person's so unpleasant. There's so much work to be around. You know, they, man, they didn't even tell me one thing about their script that they, my script that they liked, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that, that can wear you down. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, actually, you didn't even know it, but you segued into my next question, which makes me think that you're, you've seen my outline. Um, Reaper. But, uh, <laughs> so I wanted to ask you about Onyx Equinox because, you know, and again, it's an original show made for Crunchyroll. Yeah. Um, that's kind of a departure from some of the more family friendly things that you've worked on, like, you know, Last Kid Standing or Finney's and Ferd, Milo uh, Murphy's, uh, things like that. So what was the thing that you enjoyed most about this show? could be cut up seeing that it was a departure mm-hmm. and what about this show allowed you to kind of flex your creative muscles so to speak that's a great question um yeah it was uh, and uh i'm going to tell the family f- friendly version um <laughs> so so jen uh, moreau was contacted jen jen's worked on star wars um she's man she's worked on everything uh she's worked in the superhero world and she and i met um on last kids and really hit it off and uh she's a really special person i i adore jen and when she had this opportunity to to be head writer on onyx you know it was going to be an adult show 17 plus it was going to deal with some like adult issues in that um you know it was dealing with uh suicide and depression like things that aren't normally dealt with in animation period and so there's a tremendous opportunity there um, but when she, ha- you know, they sent me the materials so I could have my first interview, it was packed with monsters and I didn't know that's what it was going to be. And okay. so I flipped out. I like, I like, I called Jen and like yelled at her over the phone. Like you didn't tell me it was going to be monsters. And then Sophia and I ended up bonding kind of over our love for alien and the xenomorphs. And like, I, that that's my first love as a creative. So nice. like I, I remember being like this, I was like 12, like when Jurassic Park came out, um, like I remember they did an uh, in-depth kind of behind the scenes in Cinefix magazine, which sadly just closed their doors like three weeks ago. They've been around for 40 years, but they had concept designs by this artist named Crash McCreary, who was one of the concept designers for Stan Winston Studio back in the heyday. And I thought I wanted to be a concept designer when I was that age. I wanted to draw monsters for a living. And I wanted to draw, you know, Tremors is one of my favorite movies. Oh, yeah. Uh, And, you know, I think that's a perfect movie. Um, And, you know, I love Army of Darkness. And, and like, I love monster movies. I love zombies. I love that, you know, that's, that's that other part of me. And, you know, that's part of, (laughs) that's part of why my handle is Zombie Tardis. (laughs) <laughs> is that it's that you know that wonderful fantasy world of even though it's sci-fi you know so much of doctor who is ostensibly fantasy right mm-hmm. right in the magic box right right and and then the zombie is my horror love so i'm like i'm like put those things together <laughs> so yeah. like onyx was an opportunity for me to do that um like this is my uh you can even see it in my primeval shirt like full moon david allen production stop motion the full moon check that out nice you know, puppet master, all that stuff when I was a kid. Um, okay. So like that was major. So I got to flex my horror love muscles. Like I just, I wanted to 
like and there's some dark stuff on that show um mm-hmm. but also very human it was something that was really important to us as writers as a team um and really important to sophia that we were telling human truths but the delivery system for that was going to be really gnarly creatures um and so i jumped at that nice. i jumped at that and so I also got to do lots of jokes and brought humor to the show, which uh, is, is something that Jen and I talked a lot with and kind of negotiated with Sophia because that mm-hmm. wasn't her kind of go-to. Um, but like I got to kind of bring to bear what experience I had had up to that point, but then also dig into passions that I'd never been able to do in a professional capacity. Um, it was so exciting. Excellent. That is really cool. So on a totally different topic, because sure. that's how we roll here. Yeah. Um, I know I already mentioned your Twitter handle and I'm going to sound like a total Twitter stalker right now, that's but okay. you had retweeted a video from TikTok. It's, it's where a this light guy, stalking. Well, it, yeah, it happens. So you retweeted this video from TikTok where the guy bought um, shelving from a local video store that was closing and built the video store in his basement instead of finishing right. his kitchen cabinets, which... Yes the tone in his wife's voice then i'm like oh she's in she, so much trouble and Kathleen, she adds that at the very end and i was like whoa it was like it was like all love it was <laughs> cool and then she yeah go ahead keep going oh, oh so i'm only kind of bitter yeah <laughs> but as a wife i'm looking at that with the oh yeah. oh i know that i know that tone there was i know that tone that, that didn't happen that should have happened <laughs> exactly yeah. so when you're not writing during the pandemic how have you been spending your time do you have any have you built a video store in your basement <laughs> oh man i wish um i actually have um i i built like a the front a fake uh, tardis that oh, awesome. uh, i had years ago and so i was thinking about that being a like finishing it out you know over mm-hmm. the pandemic um but it's been it's been rough like we have having a 10 and 12 year old, um, like actually just kind of keeping, excuse me, keeping going through this thing has been a real challenge. Um, so one of the, one of the, the highlights uh, last year was um, I got to co-write uh, the last kids on earth video game, which was a brand new Funny. thing. Um, but as, as far as like other hobbies, like, Man, I was like hustling and hitting the pavement a lot last year. Um, we got into kind of as a family a little bit into retro gaming, which was cool. Ooh, um, and like we went and picked up a uh, Super Nintendo, which I never owned just because of my age bracket. Like Excellent. we like we we were playing uh, you know the NES and and then had I had other friends who got the systems kind of after that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of cool to share with the kids. Um, video games have been kind of a lifesaver for our family is i think yeah <laughs> like and... i think they've been a lifesaver for a lot of families <laughs> yes yes absolutely and um so we've been hunkering down a lot we've um we've been watching i've been i showed them tremors for the first time last year so that was kind of major so right now we're in a place <laughs> where like oh we're talking ghost but like great like let's watch ghostbusters or oh we can maybe like I'm trying to figure out like how soon I can show army because army, <laughs> it's, like, it's like cusping, like evil Dead two is like way out there, but like right. army is, uh, might be a little closer. 
but you know yeah. we watch ghostbusters we watch tremors and they're you know they're starting to get it they're starting to see that fun tone where science fiction can be funny too horror can be funny too mm-hmm. um and you know i obviously i you know that's one of my favorite things um, tremors was one of my dad's favorite movies absolutely i would be tempted to tell my kids that tremors is dune so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, oh, there's you, worms. Oh, you, you fan too, man. I love dude. <laughs> we also hit up uh, the drive-in. Um, nice, that was yeah. so cool for the first time. Uh, there's a place out here, uh, Mission Tiki Drive-in. In I think it's in Claremont or Montclair, and those are right next to each other. Um, but that was not, such com- a cool not confusing at all. Yeah, right. It's so weird. You literally pass the exit. It's all Claremont, Montclair. <laughs> um, but that was so rad. So we uh, we've. I think we saw Crudes in the drive-in. We saw Monster oh, nice. Hunter in the drive-in. Um, it was it was just awesome. Brand new experience to expose everybody to, and yeah, that is cool. I think Crudes is what my husband just told me. Our daughter is watching right now. Oh, that's <laughs> excellent. So cool. uh, my right. buddy Joel, Joel Crawford is the director. He and I started at DreamWorks together. Oh, that's nice. Cool. Yeah, he's a awesome. guy. Yeah. So no. Our Facebook page is filled with a bunch of memes and it has often come from the combination of different universes. Mm. Um, you kind of already mentioned a couple universes that you were like, oh, I just like to smash these two together. You bet. So which other universes would you like to see smashed together? Mm. That's a great question. I, I remember one of the things that I was uh, into the concept of was like when Full Moon started, when Charles Band started Full Moon and they started doing crossovers between the characters in these horror movies. And it was very much like Marvel. Mm-hmm. And, and so I just, I, I was so into that idea. Um, and, you know, I, I remember I bought the first like alien versus predator like comic was a huge influence me uh, influence on me as like an artist and a, like creative person like i i remember like i drew my own alien versus predator to like crossover pitches like i had this whole idea where there was a museum that was an homage to the crew of the nostromo and like they had these tubes that would come up with real life xenomorphs and then at night they would go down and then there was like a subterranean world where the aliens lived. And then during the day they would come up and be display cases, you know, display animals like a zoo. And, you know, that's going to end well. <laughs> um, but I, I, but I, I kind of like the crossover. Like I like this like Kong and Godzilla thing that's coming up. I'm yeah. really jazzed about that. There's like, obviously there's a precedent um but you know i think there's i remember them talking about other kind of horror movie crossovers um and it's like sometimes you you feel like there's got to be a way to do it where it doesn't break it like there's gotta i remember i i was one of these guys who was reading all of the you know fan fiction for a lot of you know different stuff science fiction uh horror like when the when that was big as a community and people were posting screenplays and all that cool stuff um and it's so funny when you think about how like you know people write fan fiction it's like 
they're just practicing their chops. You're just learning your chops. And like, you know, so many of the writers who ended up writing for Doctor Who in the new series, you know, they were writing fan fiction when they were watching the show when they were a kid. Um, mm. So I like, I think I, I'm a huge Trek fan. I really like Next Generation. Um, so part of me feels like, you know, having Picard meet the Doctor would be just cool that would be awesome <laughs> like like and i think they've done i want to say that there's uh like idw did some crossover stuff hmm. that like i think they did it they may have done a series i'm trying to remember now um but i remember thinking about that like all oh, it'd be so cool also i think for me it's like it's more like where could i go and take that blue box show up and and that be a thing like where else mm -hmm. could that show up and instead be of just in london yeah and 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 yeah it goes to london <laughs> so much he goes to earth so much he's got a uh, thing for great britain it happens yeah yeah right yeah i have a curiosity everybody, of... has, everybody says it north yeah um, I... sorry that's like a long-winded non-specific answer to that question <laughs> um, that's okay we like non-long-winded non-specific answers Cool. Good. So I do have a curiosity though. What would happen if Burt Gummer showed up in Dune? Well, that'd be pretty awesome. Right? I feel like he would get the spice and he'd like have new awareness. <laughs> and he'd probably get the leg up on them in a way that he hadn't before. Burt running around with some bright blue eyes. Oh man. Oh. <laughs> he'd probably have an issue with his still suit, but I feel like as a survivalist, like he could get used to it pretty quick. He'd make it happen. Yeah. All right. So uh, also, uh, while whilst doing some light stalking, yes, uh, on, on Twitter, you have to 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 get questions. It's just Research. part of the job. It's yes. <laughs> uh, we will now here for here to four call it research. Yeah. Uh, so I noticed on Twitter that you seconded someone's wish that Douglas Adams was still around. Yeah. To write about what's going on in the world around us. Yeah. So what was it about Adam's writing style or his content that inspired you or just inspired you to like his, his stuff overall? I think it was like, I, I ended up, I, I did this weird post and ended up getting into it with some people online. Cause you know, there's some uh, strong feelings, but I, uh, you know, I've, I like some of HP Lovecraft's writings Mm -hmm. and um i think as an unabashed racist and anti-semite you know as a human you know that's it's uh it, it absolutely puts a, a shadow over a lot of his work and i i think what i think but i think one of the reasons that we come back to it other than the the kind of innovation and and certainly the mythos with cthulhu and all of that like but there's an idea of someone who was so full of fear who looked out into the darkness of the universe and saw only terror and i think the thing that's so interesting about adams is that he looked into the ridiculousness and the black vastness of our universe and existence and he found humor yes so it's like they're looking at the same obviously the the prism that they look at the world is different but like you can look in the same abyss, you can stare into the same abyss and one guy sees jokes and somebody else sees abject, indescribable terror. And I, and I feel like 
there's a reason why as human gross human persons that we have sense of humor and i think adams was so brilliant at reminding us what a superpower that is that it's a survival superpower and that it's the thing that actually is going to help us negotiate that black abyss and i mean i just it's one of the few books i ever read in my life the first book probably i ever read that i laughed out loud and i remember i was taking i was taking a uh my friend casey bought me she brought bought me like the the like giant barnes and noble book of all uh-huh. of them at the time mm-hmm. all five and books of the trilogy I, Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> increasingly misnamed <laughs> trilogy. Um, but like I was taking like a painting class as a part of my art major. And every break, I would rush outside and sit and read. And I was laughing out loud. And I was like, I can't believe I'm laughing at this. Like I, I had never experienced that before. Like, you know, books were amusing. Or I read something that was kind of, oh, that's, that's a cool idea. That's funny. But like I was laughing out loud at what I was reading and like, you know, the way he describes like, you know, flying, being, you know, tripping, but not hitting the ground. Like there's just brilliant (laughs) stuff. And and I think the thing that that kind of clinched it for me, because I didn't know this, is then going back and again, that that Cowtown puppet show behind the scenes interest that I always have. Like when you go back and you read about his life, he wrote Hitchhiker as a sample and that's what got him the gig for Doctor Who, where he was mm-hmm. a story editor for a year and a half. He co-wrote or wrote or uh, wrote under a nom de plume some of the best episodes that Tom Baker ever had. And I didn't know that. I was already a Tom Baker fan, but I had no idea that he'd ever contributed to the series. So there's a time in Adam's life where he is literally writing the radio play, the book, and Doctor Who at the same time. Oh, wow. And that completely blew my mind. And it it kind of showed light on a lot of things about me feeling schizophrenic as a creative person and not and unsure where I needed to be headed. And then seeing someone in at the kind of the beginning of their success, like having to do more than one thing at one time. And having all of these incredible opportunities in front of them, but all of it stemming from a very specific point of view and worldview. And it was that radio script. That radio script got him work when he needed it most. And it was a terrible, painful thing to write for him at the time. Um, But like when I put all that together, I was like, that that's one of those cornerstones for me as a creative person. To be able to, as much as I love horror, I absolutely do. I love all that stuff. But the idea of bringing humor where there's darkness. Like, I just, that's a that's a heck of a way to live, uh, I think. Um, but also, I think as a creative person, like, that's what people need. Nice. I wrote a huge paper on Douglas Adams in my AP English class. I love his writing. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> Like, as soon as I saw Tim's question about Douglas Adams, I'm like, oh, yay. Yeah. We're going to go down. We're going to go down that rabbit hole. That's a fun That's one. so cool. Yeah. I think and then just comparing him, cool. comparing him to Lovecraft is just total polar opposites. But yeah. like you said, it is that same abyss they looked into. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, they both have, 
you know, tremendous gifts of invention, the world building. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, as creative people who've made things that have lasted, like, you know, I, I feel like there's always this funny thing when people talk about movies or books or, you know, talk about, you know, what's going to stick around. It's like, at some point you're able to kind of suss out and you can't always say why, you know, there, right. there's not always a clear explanation. But the recurring theme is a certain amount of humanity. You know, it's like, you know, I have, I love Superman. I have strong feelings about Superman. And, you know, I think there's a reason 75, 80 years later, we're still talking about soups. You know, I think there's a reason that we still talk about the Cthulhu mythos. Like there's a reason that these things kind of connect and set our imaginations on fire. Um, but there is something about, you know, universal fears and aspirations that as a creative person, like I find myself drawn to over and over again. Part, part of my path has been, I've always, like as a kid, I was just into the idea. I was just into the monster or the cool concept or the sci-fi conceit or the fantasy conceit. I was, and that's all my work was. I was just thinking about that, writing short stories that were weird and funny, strange. Um, but what I've learned over the course of my career and I've been at this for 15 plus years now professionally is like the humanity is the thing that connects people. So that's how you grab, you know, you, you, you grab people with the conceit and you keep them with the humanity. You keep them with the characters. Um, the best example I always have of this is like something like Phineas, which has a very s similar formula shape for every mm -hmm. episode. And we change the elements. Right. Um, you don't come back expecting you know, you, you want the characters, you come back to the characters, you know, shows like NCIS or, or shows, you know, these procedural shows, they all follow a very similar shape. People come back for the characters. Mm -hmm. So they want to see those people that they love. You know, that's, I think that's part of our job as storytellers is creating characters that people love. Excellent. All right. So Josh, we've, we've enjoyed talking with you. We, we have loved your uh, as you called them, nondescript answers that actually <laughs> were actually very descript. They're more descript than you gave them credit for, sir. Uh, but thank you so much. But before we let you escape, yes, we have to play a quiz with you. All right. So we do this with every guest. All right. All right. We, we have a five question quiz. Okay. Okay. Right. And now here's, here is the rules of engagement, sir. Okay. If you get three questions, correct. We're going to send you one of these here lovely I gave to the red shirt widows and orphans mugs. Fantastic. If you get four questions correct, we are also going to send you along with a mug a copy of this book. Oh, cool. Cust Custodians of the Cosmos. So Drayton Allen, that's the pen name of Nick's dad. Nick's dad is the uh, the founder of our of our uh, Facebook group called Funny Science Fiction. Awesome. Uh, you know, so you, you can see where we got our super cool podcast name from. Right. Um, but uh but he started that group and it was basically based off this book, which is all about a, a gentleman who tried to get into Starfleet, couldn't hack it. So he came back as a custodian to boldly clean up after those who had boldly just went. So good. So, so uh, and we'll make sure that uh, if you get the four out of five, we'll make sure that uh, Drayton uh, put some calligraphy in the front of it for you. Okay? Oh, that'd be fab. That'd be fab. All right. Now, however, if you get less than three answers correct, in other words, if you only get two out of five, we take a picture of you and we make a meme out of you. We call it a fun. <laughs> we call it a fun sequence. 
<laughs> I have a feeling that's going to happen anyway. That's, well, I don't know. Give yourself well, some credit here. No, I will. I will say that the last time that the three of us were on camera together and had to do anything <laughs> with somebody who who worked on Milo Murphy's Law and Phineas and Ferb, it ended in a in a in a meme. No, so, I'm sure it did. With oh. a pretty floral bonnet. That's a, oh, yeah. Oh, yes. I saw it. That was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Dan was very gracious. Yes. So, uh, but anyway, so we've got the five questions. Okay. Three, get the mug. Four, you get the mug, the book, and some uh, some vandalism in the book. Okay. All right. Okay. So, and this is all Doctor Who related. Fab. All right, Nick, take it away. Who is the first Oscar winner to play the Doctor? Oh, and these are multiple choice, by the way. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Forgot to tell you that. David Tennant, Tom Baker, or Peter Capelli? Peter Capaldi. Peter Capaldi. And he ran it. He won it for a short film that he made. Awesome. All right. One. One. What was the name of the probe which provided the A positive human blood to the Sycorax? Was it Guinevere one, guinea pig, guinea pig one, or Guivenart one? Guinevere, Guinevere one. It was Guinevere one. Yeah. I just watched that episode last week. Two for two. All right. Really, Tim? I feel like this is a, a lobbed <laughs> question. Hey, you know what? Not all of them can be challenging. I'm trying to be nice. He's trying a new thing. He's going to be nice. <laughs> what planet does the doctor come from? Oh, Gallifrey. Come on. <laughs> In the constellation of Castavaros. <laughs> I will now go ahead. And he went to Brighton Academy. Come on, guys. I told I'm you they were to... too easy, Tim. I'm going to go hide my head in shame. <laughs> I mean, not that I don't want to say those words on a on a podcast, because I do. Well, so see, in that regard, you are welcome, sir. I knew that. I knew I was doing something right. Yeah, I, I want to talk about Gallifrey. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. All right. Question right. number four is writing for Big Finish. So when that happens, I will come back and we'll talk about that. There awesome. You go. And you so you Question... got yourself the mug. Woohoo! Question four. What is written on the bomb that Captain Jack stops from destroying the Chula ambulance? Octung Wolf, Bad Boy Go to Your Room, or Property of Torchwood? Oh, shoot. It's Octung Wolf, isn't it? It is. Yes. It is, because it's part of the Bad Wolf. Go ahead, Kathleen. It, it's part of the Bad Wolf storyline. Bad Wolf storyline. Because I was going to say it's a little too early for Torchwood. Even though that's, I mean, we're going to get that like top of next season. Like, yeah. I threw Torchwood out there just to try and. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, that's very good. That's very good. Very good. Also a Time Lord, but the Doctor's enemy is Voldemort, River Song. Or the master. The master. Okay, also bonus. I want to give myself bonus. So there's also the Ronnie, who's who's not necessarily a nemesis. Um, then there is <coughs> the monk. Mm. Then there is uh Neil Gaiman invented one, the Corsair. Um there's a couple more that they've named. Um, which is so cool. But anyway. I told you it was too easy. I'm just adding. I'm just adding. 
Well, now we just got to give you all of Tim's wall back there. <laughs> you get all of Tim's Funko Pops. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I, I'm I, may, kidding. I may have to fight you for those. <laughs> but you did win yourself a book as well. Oh, I'm so. thrilled. Yay. And the mug. Awesome. And, some, and some vandalism of the book. So we'll make Woo-hoo. sure that... Uh, uh, so after we say goodbye to everybody else, stick around. We'll make sure that we get your shipping address and information, and we'll get that out to you, okay? Fab. Thanks, gang. That was fun. That's yeah. fun. So, oh, it's me. It's Can you, you yes. That's okay. why it's color-coded. So, Josh, where are the best places for people to be able to find out more about you and your works? Uh, so uh, you can follow me on uh, Twitter at at Zombie Tardis, Z-O-M-B-I-E-T-A-R-D-I-S. That's it on Instagram and on Twitter. And on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash Zombie Josh. Awesome. We will be sure to place those in our description so that people can find you and all of your works. Thank you. All right. Now remember, kiddos, that subscribing is the single most important thing that you can do to ensure that we get more super cool guests like Josh here and have some more funny moments for you to listen to. So please subscribe to our podcast. It helps more than you're ever going to actually realize. But make sure that you go to. uh, uh, I just had a brain fart. Oh, make please make sure that you go to twitter and instagram as well check out josh there and check out his works if you're if you're into the anime style go to check out and crunch roll see uh, onyx equinox and some of that kind of stuff check him out there he's got some really cool stuff on uh, netflix as well was the with the uh, the last kids show mystery science theaters on there there's a lot of cool things for you to check out and of course phineas and ferb and milo murphy's law so you're not gonna you're not gonna be lacking for cool things to watch that josh has been part of oh and can, can also- i plug really quick tim yeah, absolutely. Plug away, my friend. So I'm going to plug really quick an original middle grade book that Scott Peterson and I wrote called yes. Shipwreckers. The Curse oh, nice. of the Cursed Temple of Curses, or We Nearly Died a Lot. <laughs> we Nearly <laughs> so this, Died a Lot. <laughs> so this is, it actually used to be a lot, a lot, and they said that it was too long for the cover. Um, but Scott Peterson and I wrote this together. It's a, a fun for the whole family middle grade novel available okay. uh, at all good bookstores and retailers. Um, and it's kind of uh, like what would happen if Indiana Jones was a dummy and the kids Ooh. actually have to do all the work and get them out of danger. So there's a right. treasure hunting and lots of big fun in shipwreckers. Awesome. Interesting. Right. Well, cool. We'll make sure to add that into our listing information as well. Thank, thank you, for, you. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, you bet. All right. Now, remember, if you're not happy with the, the content of today's show, All you have to do is let us know. Please send a handwritten letter in triplicate form. One for the master, one for the doctor, and one for our records. The first one, either the master or the doctor, to successfully deliver it to the Daleks and leave from them in one piece gets to decide the fate of the offending party. Thank you for being on our show, Josh. This was a lot of fun. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Kathleen. Thank you, gang. Yeah, this has been a great time. So long, and thanks for all the fish. (laughs) See ya. All right. Goodbye, everyone. Our show is brought to you by our charity sponsor, the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund, which supports the Wish Upon a Teen Foundation that helps out sick kids when they need it most. And just imagine the comfort you'll give Red Shirt Crewman number 66. He'll know that when he puts on the red shirt when aliens come to give superpowers but accidentally use the death ray three days after the peace negotiations of episode 42, that he didn't leave his family destitute and without hope 
because the Redshirt Widows and Orphans Fund has his back and his left ear. On behalf of the rest of the hosts of Funny Science Fiction, we'd like to thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to be a guest on one of our future episodes, please contact us by means of our Facebook group, Funny Science Fiction. You can find us on Twitter or Instagram using the handle at FunnySciFi, or you can go to DraytonAllen.com and click the Contact Me link at the bottom of the page. Thanks again. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Copyright 2020 by Drayton Allen. Original music by Jordan Michaels. Reference to any specific product or entity mentioned in this podcast does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation of or by funny science fiction or its sponsors. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. If you have questions about this disclaimer, please contact us via email at DraytonAllen at DraytonAllen.com.